Welcome to Exhibition, an Xbox podcast, episode number 38. My name is Samuel Adams, and today we have plenty of big Xbox news to dive into. But before we get into that, if you're new here, this is a weekly Xbox podcast wrapping up the biggest news into one tight, neat little podcast for you to enjoy. So if you enjoy the show and you like what you see, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, add the show to your podcast feed, drop a like. If you can drop a like on that platform you are watching and or listening on and keep the show coming to you every single week. But before we dive into today's news, I just wanted to say a word of thanks because we have officially hit 1 million views on the YouTube channel. That's right. A million views. That's a lot of views. Uh, and I started YouTube about 10 years ago, whenever I was in high school, I believe, uh, very early on in high school. And throughout this time, the channel has gone through a lot of evolutions. It started off as a personal channel for me. Then it changed over into kind of a news outlet where it was just me, myself, and I recording, editing, and uploading content. Uh, and then it came into a podcast kind of era. Now we have an Xbox era here. And this is where I'm going to stay because things are going very well and I'm enjoying the content that I'm making and the cadence that it's coming out. It adds to a nice work-life balance, if I do say so. But beyond that, not to get too sentimental, but content creation and this kind of conversation that you and I are having right now, uh, this has shaped who I am as a person. It shaped my career. Uh, and it really is just a core fundamental part of my life. And it wouldn't have become that if I had not had a response from the community. There have been good comments, there have been bad comments, but I've made tons of friends through content creation. I've collaborated with some fantastic people, and I've just developed a love for talking about games while also playing games. Uh, and I think that is worth celebrating. On top of celebrating, of course, 1 million views, which is absolutely insane. Uh, but thank you to everybody who has ever watched a podcast, listened to a podcast, or for those that might have been around since the very beginning, all the way back in 2012, whenever I first started posting content. Uh, thank you so much for the support through the years. But we have a show to do. We can't get all weepy sad over here. We have a ton of big stories to dive into this week. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. First and foremost, we have a very big blog post from the team at Microsoft discussing this upcoming acquisition of Activision Blizzard because it is under a lot of scrutiny, both from the public and from regulators. I still have full confidence this is going to pass without any kind of issue, but it's moves like sharing this blog that are going to set Microsoft up for success and that ultimately, in my opinion, will help shape a better industry. So the blog post itself is adapting ahead of regulation, a principled approach to app stores from Brad Smith, president and vice chair at Microsoft. He writes, quote, Today we are announcing a new set of open app store principles that will apply to the Microsoft store on Windows and to the next generation marketplaces we build for games. We have developed these principles in part to address Microsoft's growing role and responsibility as we start the process of seeking regulatory approval in capitals around the world for our acquisition of Activision Blizzard. This regulatory process begins while many governments are also moving forward with new laws to promote competition in app markets and beyond. We want regulators and the public to know that as a company, Microsoft is committed to adapting to these new laws, and with these principles, we're moving to do so. Later on in this blog post, he says, quote, Just as Windows has evolved to an open and broadly used platform, we see the future of gaming following a similar path. 
Today, 2.8 billion consumers worldwide, including more than 190 million Americans, play games, and we expect that global number will reach 4.5 billion by 2030, as new generations turn to gaming for entertainment, community, and a sense of achievement. Our vision is to enable gamers to play any game on any device anywhere, including by streaming from the cloud. App stores on the most relevant and popular everyday devices like mobile phones, PCs, including Windows PCs, and in time the cloud, are important to realizing this vision. But, too much friction exists today between creators and gamers. App store policies and practices on mobile devices restrict what and how creators can offer games and what and how gamers can play them. Our large investment to acquire Activision Blizzard further strengthens our resolve to remove this friction on behalf of creators and gamers alike. We want to enable world-class content to reach every gamer more easily across every platform. We want to encourage more innovation and investment in content creation and fewer constraints on distribution. Put simply, the world needs open app markets, and this requires open app stores. The principles we are announcing today reflect our commitment to this goal. And then there is a bullet-pointed list with quality, safety, security, and privacy, accountability, fairness, and transparency, and developer choice, all core elements of it. But on top of that, there is also a very interesting chunk here that discusses the exclusivity that these franchises that already exist today will experience going forward. Brad Smith writes, quote, We also recognize that regulators may well have other important questions as they review our acquisition of Activision Blizzard. We are committed to addressing every potential question, and we want to address publicly at the outset two such questions here. First, some commentators have asked whether we will continue to make popular content like Activision's Call of Duty available on competing platforms like Sony's PlayStation. The obvious concern is that Microsoft could make this title available exclusively on the Xbox console, undermining opportunities for Sony PlayStation users. To be clear, Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles available on PlayStation through the term of any existing agreement with Activision. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love. We are also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's successful platform. We believe this is the right thing for the industry, for gamers, and for our business. Second, some may ask why today's principles do not apply immediately and wholesale to the current Xbox console store. It's important to recognize that emerging legislation is being written to address app stores on those platforms that matter most to creators and consumers, PCs, mobile phones, and other general-purpose computing devices. For millions of creators across a multitude of businesses, these platforms operate as gateways every day to hundreds of millions of people. These platforms have become essential to our daily work and personal lives. Creators cannot succeed without access to them. Emerging legislation is not being written for specialized computing devices like gaming consoles for good reasons. Gaming consoles specifically are sold to gamers at a loss to establish a robust and viable ecosystem for game developers. The costs are recovered later through revenue earned in the dedicated console store. Nonetheless, we recognize that we will need to adapt our business model even for the store on Xbox console. Beginning today, we will move forward to apply principles 1 through 7 to the store on the Xbox console. We're committed to closing the gap on the remaining principles over time. In doing so, we will incorporate the new spirit of laws even beyond their scope. 
while moving forward in a way that protects the needs of game developers, gamers, and competitive and healthy game console ecosystems. So to learn more about the various bullet points that they have been discussing here, you can check out the blog on Microsoft. But first and foremost, what a lot of people want to know and discuss, the exclusivity discussions around Activision Blizzard games. I want to make it very clear, there has never been a more statement, or a clearer statement I should say, than this right here. Call of Duty will remain available on PlayStation, and this has torn the community apart over the course of the past week. You see a lot of Xbox fanboys that are complaining that Xbox is not making Call of Duty exclusive. And my question to them is, why do you care? Xbox is now going to be the best place to play Call of Duty because it is going to be available day and date in Game Pass. Who cares if somebody else gets access to it? And on top of that, over the course of the past 10 years, there has been a building drive towards cross-platform play, being able to play Call of Duty with friends on PlayStation and being able to play with friends on PC. That was something that was a pipe dream whenever I was playing the original Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 in high school. Back then, you had to choose your console based on where your friends were playing. If you had friends on Xbox, you had to have an Xbox. Now, that's not the case. The technology is here that make the these uh, trivial divisions between console types even more trivial than they've ever been before. As far as I'm concerned, the more people that are able to play games, the better. And I think that's probably the way that Microsoft is looking at this in the long term. Because yes, could they have sold a couple of more Xboxes because Call of Duty is an exclusive? Absolutely. But now you've got a locked down marketing plan where no longer will PlayStation be the go-to home for Call of Duty. That is going to be Xbox like it was back in the Xbox 360 days. And on top of that, Game Pass makes this much more competitive. I've also seen a lot of conversations around these subscription services over the course of the past few days. And whenever PlayStation launches Spartacus, and if Nintendo were to do a subscription model similar to Game Pass or any kind of Game Pass-like subscription, never will you see Call of Duty on those unless it is positive for Microsoft. And I would go so far as to say that Call of Duty is going to be a Game Pass exclusive. The future isn't in console exclusivity. It's in subscription exclusivity. That's why you see Netflix and Disney Plus cutting deals, trading Star Wars and Marvel movies, going back and forth like that. Uh, you see Spider-Man No Way Home going to the Stars app, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so it's those kind of deals that you'll begin seeing in games more and more, and I think that Microsoft is getting out ahead of that and making these moves to lock down very big games to include on these subscription services for the foreseeable future. Now, on top of that, uh, open app stores are always going to be great as long as they are not bogged down with too much bloatware. You know, we've all seen the Spider-Man game that's on the Xbox App Store right now that is clearly not a Spider-Man game, uh, but it's being uh, promoted as such, and it's using assets from the Insomniac game on PlayStation. And so these are all very misleading. And so it's important to open up an app store and to allow a free and open app store. And we'll talk about that more in a couple of moments with Martha is dead. There's some news regarding that one. Uh, but it's also important to ensure that you're keeping a nice clean app store as well, where everybody can get access to good games. And of course, you know, you'll have some games that flop like Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, but it's important to not have bloatware. It's important to keep things open without bloating the entire store, making it cumbersome to navigate and just filled with trash. 
So that is obviously just an aside. That's me going off on a rant. Uh, but these changes, number one, they're good for players. But number two, uh, they are designed entirely to help ease this process when regulators begin asking questions. Uh, because whenever you hear Call of Duty, everybody is familiar with Call of Duty. And with uh, regulations coming up, you are going to ask, you know, is a game this big uh, adding to the discussion of, you know, impacting competition. Very well could. Now, that's no longer an issue. And you see Satya Nadella sharing this. You see Phil Spencer sharing this. You see conversations in Microsoft bigwigs on Twitter, or I should say between Microsoft bigwigs on Twitter, agreeing this is the direction they're going. And when it comes time to analyze the conversation and see how Microsoft is approaching uh, this acquisition, it's going to become very clear that this is going to actually improve things uh, rather than harm them. And speaking of improving things, Microsoft is watching Activision's executives so the right people are in power after its acquisition. This news also comes from Brad Smith, as reported on by VGC here, uh, and it all originated from an interview on CNBC with Brad Smith saying that the company wants to improve culture at Activision Blizzard and ensure the right people are in place to accomplish this. Quote, I think if there is one thing that we've learned about addressing issues like sexual harassment or almost any issue of culture for people, it really requires a combination of commitment and humility, Smith said. You've got to be committed to making things better. You know, we're looking to the leadership team at Activision Blizzard today to make cultural and workplace safety a top priority every single day, until the day when this deal hopefully closes. And then we'll take over and we need to make that same commitment. But I also think humility matters. The day you think you're done, the day you think you can declare victory, is probably the day when you sacrifice the very values that you're hoping to promote. So, we always approach this recognizing that we've been on a path. We've been evolving. We hope it's a positive path. And so this is something not just for Activision Blizzard. I think it's part of every part of Microsoft. It's part of the entire tech sector. It's part of every business in the whole economy. CNBC then asked Smith whether by saying, when we take over Activision, this meant he was envisioning an entirely new leadership team. Well, what we've said is that there will be some aspects that will change, but it will all be one new team that will work together. Most importantly, we want to see the culture evolve, and we will see how people perform between now and the day this closes, assuming it's approved, and then we'll have the opportunity to make sure that we have the right people in the right position. Sounds like the people there are going to be under some scrutiny between now and then, the interviewer suggested. With the reply, I think we all should live in a world where we're under scrutiny. I mean, the world is changing, I think mostly in a positive way. It's just one more example of where we're going to serve our employees the best if we embrace the opportunity to change, end quote. This, of course, comes on the heels of a slew of allegations levied at people across Activision Blizzard. Of course, Bobby Kotick has been a hot topic in the news. He is more than likely going to be out one way or another. That has pretty much been the plan since day one. Kotick is going to step down and leave the company. But outside of that, you also have deep-rooted leadership issues, and those have to be addressed. And on top of that, below the leadership, you are going to have pockets of people that need to be addressed whenever this acquisition closes and that should have been addressed years ago. And so to see that Microsoft is paying attention here and getting a plan in place on who is going to stay, who is going to go, uh, that 
to me, signifies how good this is going to be for Activision Blizzard, because it's clear that this is already a priority before the deal itself is even closed. And so I think that between the App Store becoming more open, between Call of Duty remaining multi-platform and other Activision Blizzard franchises as well, one would assume, uh, you can look and say, this is all moving in a positive direction for Activision Blizzard that in turn creates a more positive future for the games that they create and the communities that look to Activision Blizzard to create homes for themselves online and in these worlds that are being developed. And so all in all, I'm excited about the Activision Blizzard acquisition more now than ever because it's nice to see that PlayStation will still get access to these. I think that's great, especially when it comes to Call of Duty. Uh, and I think that being able to ease this acquisition is going to be uh, a big benefit to make sure that it passes smoothly because I am a proponent of this. I think this is a good move. Uh, and I suppose I'm one of the few, and this is probably going to be a bit controversial, uh, that thinks that consolidation in the gaming industry is ultimately going to lead to a better experience for players in the long run, as long as the right people are in power. Right now, 2022 Microsoft is a great company. I'm a huge fan of Microsoft, and I think they're doing a lot of things right. And so I think consolidating means Game Pass gets better. When you look to PlayStation, who has more companies under their banner, uh, you, you look and you say, okay, cool, what are they bringing to the table? PlayStation Spartacus is coming, their subscription service. I like to think that I could live in a world where I buy two consoles, I pay two monthly $15 a month subscriptions, and I get access to everything I could ever want to play. So for 30 bucks a month, you know, you're looking at uh, 12 months, do the math on that. That's a pretty good deal to play everything you want. Okay. Uh, and so that's kind of the future that I would like to see. Now, of course, it's all about choice. If you just want to play on PlayStation and you just want to buy $60 games, that should not go away. Uh, but if you want to open it up and have more options to be able to play whatever you want, I think the consolidation and these deals that are being cut makes that happen. Just my two cents. I'm sure plenty of other people don't feel that way, but again, it's all about the choice and how you play. Speaking of Call of Duty, not only is a sequel to 2019's Call of Duty Modern Warfare on the way, we are also going to be seeing Warzone 2, or some kind of working title, uh, that is the next evolution of Call of Duty's Battle Royale. You see the report here from GameSpot, but this all comes from a blog post over on the Call of Duty blog, uh, which starts off discussing Warzone and kind of some upcoming patches and improvements to that experience. But towards the bottom, you also see future plans as one of the big bullet points that lines out the steps that are going to be taken in the year ahead. Lastly, it says, quote, we also wanted to give a peek into what is on the horizon in 2022 for Call of Duty. The team is excited to confirm some additional news below. Stay frosty, friends. This year's Call of Duty is a sequel to Modern Warfare 2019. The new game and a new Warzone experience are designed together from the ground up. Expect a massive evolution of Battle Royale with all new play space and a new sandbox mode. A new engine powers both the new Call of Duty game release and Warzone. Development on both the new Call of Duty and the Warzone experience is being led by Infinity Warp. So a lot to break down there. Now, over on the GameSpot blog, or I should say GameSpot article, uh, you see more details emerging from YouTuber Jack Frags. They write, quote, YouTuber Jack Frags has new information on both games as well. Warzone 2, or whatever the game may be called, will have significant innovations, according to the report. No two matches should play the same, developers reportedly said. Warzone 2 won't be the same old, same old, according to the report. 
Warzone 2 will have a new sandbox mode too, but no new details are available at this time. Developers told Charlie Intel that when Black Ops Cold War content came to Warzone, the Battle Royale game didn't feel like Modern Warfare anymore, but also didn't feel like Black Ops either. For the next Warzone, the developers are going to react to this feedback. So what happens to the original Warzone when Warzone 2 is released remains to be seen. And on top of that, you also have the discussion around Modern Warfare 2, and it's rumored to be focused on Colombian drug cartels. If I had to imagine, it's likely going to be what we saw with 2019's Modern Warfare. So let's address the core game first, Modern Warfare 2. Uh, when it comes to that, we've seen a couple of leaks of the engine supposedly making their way to Twitter, and the game itself looks phenomenal. We've seen some hand motions, some gun animations. Uh, it looks like they're really pushing the boundary of what's possible. The big question, will it be next generation exclusive? And I think this could be the year that you see the leap, because now you've had Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War on last gen, and you've had Call of Duty Vanguard on last gen. That's two games to kind of bridge the gap. We're going into year three. It's time to embrace next generation. So if I had to imagine these uh, screenshots and these videos that we're seeing online, that's probably uh, looking so good because it is only exclusive to next generation consoles. Uh, so when it comes to the story itself in Modern Warfare 2, they're probably going to follow the exact same pattern we saw with 2019's Modern Warfare, where it is the same cast of characters, but they're taking a bit of a different spin. But much like the original Modern Warfare 2, you see a focus on the favela, the Colombian drug cartels, that kind of thing. Uh, so that sounds pretty good. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about that because Modern Warfare 2... I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours that I spent in that bad boy. That was really my first Call of Duty that I grinded, you know, in high school. Middle school? Middle school, actually. Wow, a long time ago. Uh, Modern Warfare 2, 2009, I think. So it's been 12 years? 13 years? 13? Uh, either way, long time. Uh, Warzone 2, on the other hand, this one's going to be interesting because this needs to be a next-generation Warzone. And I think when it comes to the question of what happens to the original Warzone, uh, they continue nurturing the last-generation Warzone for those that might just play Warzone exclusively on a day-one Xbox One. You know, you keep that experience there because that still generates revenue. But for the next Warzone, create something new that's next-generation exclusive that pushes the boundaries of what's been possible. And I like the idea of switching up gameplay. I like the idea of a cohesive feel for these games. And I think it's important to create something that is engaging in both its uh, gameplay loop and on top of that in its environments and in the way that the content itself is presented. But additionally, uh, you see the complaint from developers, it, supposedly, allegedly, on Twitter, of stuff like FOV sliders on console not being possible because it would uh, impact the experience on last-generation hardware. It's clear that these consoles that launched in 2013 are holding back Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5, and so it's time to really push the boundary forward uh, and make FOV sliders a reality, make a PC-like experience on console. And I think that's what you'll be seeing with Warzone 2. Uh, very exciting stuff here, and I'm looking forward to learning more, but I'm just a sucker for a good modern combat setting. 
modern or near future is exactly what I want. Uh, that's why I still enjoy Battlefield 2042. I'll admit I have dropped off since there just isn't a lot of content in Battlefield 2042 right now. I'll probably pick it back up whenever some more maps are added. I might get the season pass, assuming it's not given away for free. Uh, but I still love that near future setting where things are still realistic and we have familiar guns. Uh, but it, it just does more for me than a World War II setting like Vanguard, for instance. Uh, but I have seen Jazz Corps posting a lot of good gameplay of Call of Duty Vanguard, and I'd be lying if I said that I didn't at least want to try it at some point in the future. So who knows, might pick it up on a $20 sale or something over the summer. But when it comes to the future of Call of Duty looking very bright, uh, and I think this is going to be the year that you really see Call of Duty go next gen, and that's good because we have plenty of exciting Call of Duty games in the future, with many coming to Game Pass. Very cool to see. Jumping over to another shooter, Crossfire X is out now on Xbox, and first impressions aren't good at all. This article is over on Pure Xbox, and it talks about a couple of Reddit comments here, but I wanted to talk about Crossfire X for a moment. And I will say, this is not in regards to the Remedy single-player campaign. I've heard that's better of an experience, but the gunplay is still the same, and I think that's what I want to focus on here. I downloaded Crossfire X, and I've been... Pretty excited for Crossfire X. It's a very big, well-known title in the world, kind of one of those CSGO-style titles, and it's not nearly as popular in the Americas as it is in other areas. And so I said, cool, coming to Game Pass, let's dive in, check it out. As soon as I got into a game, it's shockingly bad. I mean, this feels like, I think the best way that I saw it described, and I apologize, I'm not sure who it was from, but this feels like, a 15-year-old game that was remastered five years ago. It is just not good. And I bring this up today, number one, to let you guys know my thoughts on it, but number two, to say that when a game like Crossfire X comes out, and it is promoted heavily on Game Pass, where it is the standout star of the month, and you see a ton of people talking about it, when this game clearly did not go through any hardcore quality control, uh, when this game clearly did not go through any deep, rigorous testing, and it comes out in the state that it's in, this does more harm to the Game Pass reputation than it does good. You've got to ensure that good games are coming to Game Pass, because if you start pumping the service full of stuff like Crossfire X. And make no mistake, this kind of experience does not come across my table very often. But when you have something that's just as utterly trash as Crossfire X is, it will end up harming the reputation of Game Pass. And that is not what Microsoft needs to do. We need more Modern Warfare 2019s in Game Pass and less Crossfire Axes. We need more Death's Doors in Game Pass and less Crossfire Axes. And of course, this is uh, just one little uh, blip on the radar. And there have been bad games in Game Pass before. That's not a, a question. But it's very important to ensure the games that are utterly broken or just plain out not good uh, are not included in this service. And Microsoft has to be very careful here to ensure that they are pumping it full of good content. I think that's really what it comes down to. So that's me on my little soapbox. If you want to dive in, I've heard the Remedy campaign is all right. I'm still just going to hold off on it because me diving in and playing a little bit of multiplayer uh, just was not good. It just wasn't fun. The gunplay feels horrendous as compared to stuff like Destiny that's out there right now. Uh, and as compared to even Battlefield 2042, not the best gunplay, but it's a hell of a lot better than Crossfire X. Uh, more improvements are coming, more maps are coming, that kind of thing. But for me, 
even as a free-to-play game, just, you know, if you're playing a free-to-play shooter, just go play Warzone or something, uh, really, because it's just not a not a good look out there for Crossfire Axe and not a good look for Game Pass this week either. Let's bounce over to Push Square to discuss Martha is Dead, a new horror game coming out that is being censored on PS5 and PS4. Uh, now, the article from Sammy Barker over at Push Square digs into the details a bit, but the statement originally comes from Wire Productions over on Twitter that writes, quote, it is with regret that we have had to modify the experience on the PS5 and PS4 versions with some elements no longer playable. After over four years of passion and hard work, developer LKA now requires extra time to make these unplanned changes. Martha is Dead, as a result, will still launch digitally on both PS5 and PS4 on Thursday, February 24th, 2022, but the physical retail release will be delayed to a yet-to-be-disclosed date, although we anticipate this is only to be a small number of weeks. Our physical edition will still contain the bonus content of a double-sided poster, digital tarot cards, and Martha is Dead digital EP. We will update players with the date when we ship this edition as soon as possible, or I should say as soon as we have the information, end quote. Uh, the PC and Xbox versions of Martha is Dead are both unaffected by these developments and will launch with the full unedited gameplay as planned. So Martha is Dead is a very, very gruesome, dark horror game. That's what I've been reading online. That's what the trailers have shown off. I mean, we're talking about somebody peeling another person's face off. That's kind of the kind of thing you're going to be getting. Uh, and so it seems like Sony is not great with having that on their platform, and they are since having to ask it uh, be removed from the experience. And when it comes to the physical delay, if the game itself is included on the disc, it's important to ensure that that content is not still included on the disc in Sony's eyes. And so I assume that's probably uh, the conversation that is being had and those logistics have to be ironed out to make sure that that is not the case. Uh, whether that be a day one update or whether that be having to recall some of these physical editions yet to be determined. Uh, but very interesting here, the PlayStation is censoring this content because this is something that I would have expected from like a Nintendo or uh, another similar kind of family-friendly company. Uh, but um, still, if you want the full experience for Martha is Dead, very important to play on Xbox or PC. That's where you will get the full unedited experience. And when I read this story, I think back to how uh, blood was a different color on the NES version of Mortal Kombat versus another platform like the Sega Genesis or something like that. Uh, and I'm sure I got those consoles wrong. I feel like I've been reading a ton of stories lately and those two consoles just came to mind. But it's that kind of thing that I look back on and I chuckle. And I think this is similarly going to be a thing where I look back on it and I chuckle. And I think in 20 years, huh, Martha's Dead didn't have the face ripping scene on PlayStation, but it was on Xbox. Uh, but regardless, wanted to let you guys know because this game looks stunning number one from what i've seen online uh, and number two who doesn't love a good unedited horror game i mean that's like watching the uh our unedited uncut version of like a, a house of the dead or a friday the 13th you just love that additional level of gore that's just me though my two cents Fans of Assassin's Creed had some good news this week with a new standalone game reportedly coming that originated as an Assassin's Creed Valhalla expansion. And this is great for a couple of reasons, but more specifically, it's not going to be this giant open world where you can spend hundreds and hundreds of hours. This is going to be a much more concise experience that is stealth focused. This report comes from Polygon that writes, quote, the game is being called Rift internally and was originally slated 
intended as an expansion to 2020's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's expected to star Basim, an assassin that appeared in Valhalla. Bloomberg reported that the new standalone game, slated for release in late 2022 or 2023, will be smaller than recent games, turning away from the large open world and instead focusing more on stealth gameplay. The ending of Assassin's Creed Valhalla left Basim's future open-ended, though he seems to have had a very interesting life as an assassin before he meets Aver and Sigurd. Assassin's Creed Valhalla has received multiple pieces of DLC, including an expansion. Since it was released in 2020, he's added new regions like Ireland and an extended storyline. Polygon asked Ubisoft for a comment, and of course they replied with this non-committal, they don't comment on things, but... I'm very excited if this is in fact the case, because when I look back on the games that I've enjoyed the most in the Assassin's Creed franchise, it is those very concise, uh, action-based, stealth-based Assassin's Creed games that aren't really as open-world as a lot of these newer games have been. I mean, you look to something like Odyssey, and it is quite frankly, an odyssey. And you look to Valhalla, and I spent about 100 hours in Valhalla. Uh, and not to say those aren't good experiences, but for my taste and my personal preferences, I enjoy those 20, 30-hour experiences where I dive in and I get something going where it's pretty streamlined and straightforward. And so to be able to have a stealth-based Assassin's game uh, once again sounds very exciting to me. Now, the big question is, will it be full-priced? Will it be one of these $40 titles? Uh, if I had to guess, this will likely be something like, uh, you know, your Assassin's Creed uh, Freedom Cry or your uh, spinoff of that style where you do have this standalone experience, but it's not something that is quite warranting a $60 or $70 price tag. And I think that might be the case uh, to kind of bridge that gap. If I had to guess, you'll probably hear more about this during the E3 season coming up, so stay tuned, and we'll talk about it right here on Exhibition. To round out today's show, we have a couple of very big new features coming to Xbox through the Alpha Skip Ahead program. And of course, this is the testing beta group, uh, if you will, that will then see if these new experiences work well, and if they do, then they'll roll out to subsequent groups of testers and eventually the general public in the months ahead. But coming from Windows Central, this huge Xbox Quick Resume update will give users more control over suspended games. You can now pin up to two games that will stay in Quick Resume indefinitely. So if you don't know how Quick Resume currently functions, uh, Quick Resume is one of the best features on the Xbox Series X or S, and it's that if you're playing something like Forza Horizon 5, you can start up something like Hellblade and simultaneously switch between the two at will. Now, the issue with Quick Resume is that the games that you play can be changed uh, without you ever really knowing. For instance, I was playing Death's Door a couple of days ago, and then I went to go do some weeklies in Forza Horizon 5. I came back, Death's Door was gone. I've also experienced that with just turning my console off, not even powering it down entirely, but just putting it into sleep mode. Sometimes if the game needs an update or something along those lines, the game will close, and then you'll have to jump back in really sucks if you haven't saved in a while. Uh, and so with this new feature, you can now pin games that will remain in quick resume, regardless of if they have any kind of update, regardless of factors whatsoever, they will always be there. Now, if you open the game and it needs an update, you might have to update that kind of thing. Uh, but it takes the guesswork out of what games are going to be saved in quick resume and which aren't. And so I think that is a fantastic new feature. And it's one that I know that I'll be using because for games like, for instance, Halo Infinite, if I'm playing 
running the campaign. Sometimes I grind that in the background. If I'm playing something else, it would be nice to not have to worry that I'll have to go back in, load into the campaign, get back to the rally point that I was at, and start off from there. And so I think this is an awesome uh, new feature for Alpha Skip Ahead users to try. And if you want to learn more, again, you can check it out. And if you want to become a tester, it's pretty easy to do so as well. Be warned, though, you might run into a couple of bugs here and there I have in my time. And I've since gone back to the general public release just for stability's sake, uh, specifically whenever there was a huge delay on pushing the Xbox home button. It took a while for that to load, so I went ahead and jumped back over. But who knows? Might dive back in and give it a shot. Uh, but on top of that, if you do not use the share button on the Xbox controller to share your gameplay, you could start using it for some new features if you would like. The Xbox share button is getting more customizable thanks to controller remapping. This comes from The Verge's Tom Warren, who reports that you'll be able to remap the button for hold, press, and double tap to the following options. You can open the Xbox guide, send a message, search, launch an app or a game, play or pause media, TV volume up or down or mute, view achievements, friends or a party, access quick settings, or toggle night mode, color filters, narrator, or magnifier. This is awesome. And of course, if you are someone like me, I share a lot of gameplay. Now, is sharing gameplay on Xbox intuitive? No, by any stretch of the imagination, it is not. But I do find myself sharing gameplay, screenshots, etc. pretty often. However, if you're somebody who doesn't do social media or you don't share or capture your gameplay, this completely opens up a new world of possibilities for what that middle button can do. And if I'm looking at these options... I would probably say that opening the Xbox guide might be what I go with, but viewing achievements is equally as valuable. Uh, if you always have Halo and you want to play Halo or Forza or any game that you have installed, uh, being able to launch that at will, super easy. Maybe you have a group of friends that play Warzone, and as soon as they jump into a party, you smash that middle button, Warzone pops up. It's stuff like that that I think is really cool. And versatility is always a big plus, no matter what console, platform, or uh, game you're playing. I love that kind of approach. Uh, so Xbox Insider testers in the Alpha and Skip Ahead Alpha rings can now access this new controller firmware update. Uh, and of course, if it works out well, it will roll out to general users in the months ahead. But that wraps up this week's episode of Exhibition, an Xbox podcast. If you enjoy the show and you like what you see or what you hear, hit that subscribe button on YouTube or on your podcast platform of choice and get the show delivered to you every single Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. But until next week, you guys have a fantastic one. I'll talk to you soon and keep on playing.